Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Um, today I'm joined with Olivia Sun. Some of you are familiar with her YouTube channel, talks a lot about social issues um, and frames it in a sort of philosophical lens and in sort of a video essay format. It's a really good channel, really recommend checking it out. Um, would you like to kind of introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So, hi, my name is Olivia. As Ben just said, um, my channel name is Ollie Sunvia. And yeah, I just make video essays. I'm currently based in Toronto and I'm not very good at consistently posting, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, I think for like the first, I I've technically had like a channel since 2015 and it wasn't until the pandemic where like I was able to consistently post it actually is really difficult like don't feel bad about that <laughs> oh wow you've been around for a long time yeah well I mean it only started um getting like any sort of growth like in like 2020 uh... I think I had like five videos on my channel like before that um but I had very like loyal people that just kind of stuck around and waited for me to start posting consistently but oh. yeah I I feel when you say it like that I, I feel like old <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And uh, I guess just out of curiosity before we begin, um, what kind of got you into making those YouTube videos? Yeah. So I think like a lot of people, I was kind of searching for something to do during quarantine. It was 2021. I had just finished my first year of university and I was looking just for something to do. So I was like, okay, are there internships? Are there jobs? Are there volunteer opportunities? And of course, there were none because <laughs> of COVID. Um, so I don't know. I was just like, what's something like, quote unquote, productive that I can do with my time? Um, video essays on YouTube, I guess. And yeah, <laughs> that's that's it. I've had like a lot of people come up to me and like, tell me about your channel or uh, I've had people also send me your videos and they're extremely comprehensive and like it is like reading like a paper like you like just I think from the titles you assume it's gonna be kind of really and it, like it is kind of laid back but it's uh -huh. also like you're like throwing so many references kind of like <laughs> casually and you just you just end up like learning a lot it's really impressive oh thanks um, that's so cool I've like watched <laughs> your channel way before mine existed so that's really cool for me to hear Oh, <laughs> um, thank you. Um, so today we're going to talk about uh, dating and relationships and love in general, which I think you've made a couple videos on. I've made a couple videos on. Um, and before going into that, I would just like to say I'm like a I'm like a straight dude. I've only ever been in like straight relationships. I am limited in you know how inclusive I can be talking about love and in some cases I think like when we talk about like philosophy of love and stuff like that I do think that it's trying to be somewhat universal but at the same time I you know welcome other perspectives and uh, I'm not totally educated on like other forms of relationships and stuff like that but I, I think I think the first thing um, that I kind of want to bring up is in your video you talk about love being an art versus love being a sort of event which kind of reminded me of Zizek talks about how we conceptualize love as this thing that like happens to us like we like 
we're just kind of going about our day and then we like fall into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a common kind of critique of like contemporary views on love is that it's like this passive thing that we'll just somehow like get into mm-hmm. and it's romantic um, because it kind of makes it feel like we're part of something larger and there's like a, we don't really have a say almost, but it, I, I think, and we'll talk about this probably, but it's probably not super sustainable when it comes to the actual like relationship part and when there's actually effort required. Um, but I guess what is, what is your view on this? Yeah. So I, in my video, I said that love is an art because you know, I also agree that this idea of love being something passive, like something that you just like fall into, something that just like suddenly comes to you is is just like, um, I guess, like a wrong way of looking at love because then it kind of gives you this idea that like, oh, if it doesn't work out with someone, it just wasn't meant to be. And there was like nothing you could have done about it um, or, oh, you know what? The one is like out there and I just have to wait for them to come for me. I don't really have to put as much effort in myself or my actions to go out and like bring that love into my life. Um, And I think it's not only like a wrong portrayal of love, but I think it just does yourself a disservice. Like you could be experiencing so much more love if you took on a more active role in regards to it. It it reminds me of... um... I think I have like a lot of friends that um, or just people I know that they seem to be consistently in and out of relationships. And it's usually whenever there is some sort of uh, either like a sort of larger, they have to commit to something all of a sudden, like they get like a dog together or like they're thinking of getting a dog together. They might Mm. move in together or, you know, one of them has to go off to university. The other one stays where it's like it's like a very quick like abandonment. And it's just, it's, I guess it's, and I've, I've had people talk to me about this when it comes to my relationships and I'm mm-hmm. having like issues is, is it's kind of like, oh, you're too young to be having to deal with all this distress and stuff. It's like easier to just like, let it, let it be and just like move on. And I think it's like useful in the sense where relationships can be kind of bad mm-hmm. to the point where you're kind of holding on to something that, you know, this is like taking a lot out of you and is it really worth it but i think more often than not we we see the other extreme which is any sort of uh insecurity or conflict just really quickly leads to just wasn't they're not the one for me Mm -hmm. uh yeah yeah I, i there was this uh interesting comment on my video i remember someone pointed out that like 99% of movies and films that we are shown always focus on like the process of falling in love Um, but then the movie kind of like ends once the love the like love interests have like come together it doesn't really like ever focus on what happens afterwards like does this happily ever after continue what's the process of like continuing to stay in a relationship look like Um, and there's also just like a bigger I think um, emphasis on like high schoolers or just like teenagers um, in love like there's this whole thing of like adults playing teenagers in film and tv shows right um, and so obviously like relationships when you're like a teenager is going to be different from when you're like grown up a little bit 
Um, mm. But adults are still watching, like, Euphoria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Euphoria is, like, uh, probably one of, like, the worst examples of, like, healthy relationships. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, definitely not, not a model um, yeah. for it. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a really good point. Um, and I think if you look at the fact that the often cited statistic of 50% of marriages end in divorce, you can translate that to most of the relationships we see in those movies where it ends and probably 50% of them wouldn't realistically work out. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, you're right. Like, and, and it is because I think we've heavily romanticized the process of finding love mm -hmm. and love happening to us. And no one really wants to watch a movie of like two people working things out and having like a healthy relationship because that is boring and, mm -hmm. and storytelling usually revolves around some sort of conflict. And, yeah. 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 Um, and I think that just like relates to like the hyper reality part I talked about where I think so many of us try to like copy what we see in movies and there's just like this general trend of like attention spans just becoming like shorter and shorter and us I guess wanting to care about things only if it's like passionate or like attention grabbing I'm gonna blame a lot on like TikTok and stuff because um, I personally like I will admit like getting on TikTok I think has like affected my own um, attention span and ability to like do things without like a YouTube video playing in the background um, and mm. I really hate that because it kind of like wires your brain to just like seek out constant like stimulation in other areas of life as well. Well, it's so it's so toxic in the sense that like in, in the context of like relationships, especially, but also just anything in general, because how the algorithm works is this minimal attention span. Um, it, it, it's kind of like hoping that what you're seeing, you're going to agree with or be interested in in like seven seconds or less. Yeah. And then and the problem is, is like that, like I kind of think of it as it's almost like an like a different self than who how we present ourselves in in the real world it's like this algorithmic self that's like it's very kind of just within seven seconds it just has these desires and stuff that it doesn't really think about and you're like shown like a video of um i don't know like a thirst trap or mm -hmm. a, an opinion that you kind of agree with in the sort of primal level but once you start thinking about it you go that's kind of selfish like, that's <laughs> not really but but you immediately agree with it and the algorithm doesn't like tiktok doesn't work where you need to really engage with the post you just need to kind of watch it mm -hmm. and then it will keep showing you stuff like that so you end up in this sort of like solipsistic cycle and it and it really like snowballs and then your entire feed is just all these people that um you've never met they don't know you and they're they're basically telling you you're right about things and you should feel insecure about these things. And you're of course agreeing because it's like feeding into this stuff that you'd like this confirmation bias. Um, and it, yeah, it gets, it gets really toxic and especially in a relationship where two people need to be, they need to be accountable for their own actions and the actions of the other person. It's like boundaries completely break down. It's really just like us versus them, like me versus my partner. I, it's really bad. Like, I don't, I don't think it, it helps relationships like at all. Yeah, I, I'm sure too. Like I, I can't remember like specific videos now, but I'm sure I've come across like at least one or two TikToks that pop up and it'll just, it'll just like 
a like arouse an insecurity that I didn't know I should even be aware of. <laughs> like he'll be like, oh, you know, like if your boyfriend does this, then clearly he's like unfaithful. And then it'll just make all mm. these like people who never previously had a problem with that suddenly feel like they should have a problem with it. Because here's this person like passionately telling them um, that there is a problem with it. And it's like, well, why should I disagree with it if like 200k people like this video? Mm hmm. Well, yeah, and that's like, I almost feel like the end result of this is like a very boring society where everyone just likes the same things. Because like the like for guys, it's this trend of like, this gives me like an ick mm. where it's like if a guy does like any sort of I mean, some of them are kind of funny. One of them is like a guy like hyping up people like telling them to film him because he's going to dive into the pool. But he ended <laughs> up diving into like the shallow end of the pool and then he tries to play it off. And they're like, this is like a new ick I found. And like, it's like funny, but it's also sometimes it's just stuff where it's like a guy like is just interested in something or like they're very kind of just innocent um, things that maybe you don't like and it's like a personal preference mm -hmm. and then a lot of people like that and you're right it's like 200,000 people's personal preference like against this one thing and so all these like little kind of quirks people have if they're really affected by social media they're gonna kind of stop doing that they're gonna become less of themselves like they're gonna and just I think over time you just end up with like a sort of reduction in in personality variation like you end up in like a more boring population because everyone's just kind of into the same trends and the same um kind of culture and then that in itself once enough people are interested in the same thing that becomes lame so it's this constant cycle and it's being like sped up even more and more and more i guess this isn't really about relationships but it's like <laughs> once again i'm like kind of just talking about like how tiktok can i feel like it has like some of the worst consequences out of like almost any social media platform except for i mean i think facebook is probably mm -hmm. still up there but, <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I think i think it's still related to relationships like you know yeah like with people wanting to all kind of like become the same be have the same like preferences and stuff it just like creates a more and more like standardized version of like what is a good partner um mm. um and sometimes like if we want to go into like the genders like oh what is a good like boyfriend what is a good girlfriend um what is a good like you know partner for a specific type of person um and it's like oh if if my boyfriend isn't like this specific type of boyfriend then he's not like the ideal um and i think that mm -hmm. yeah i just i don't think that's like obviously plausible or realistic if everyone actually has different preferences different lifestyles um etc i i think it almost like dehumanizes like like your partner your love interest because you're like yeah you're like comparing them to what you said like the ideal like the imaginary mm -hmm. um and and it's without any sort of context of their own personality their own sort of like your own relationship you're getting this information from people that don't know you um and from videos that aren't necessarily made specifically for you but just for like you know people trying to get famous on tiktok usually and they're trying to like uh, cater to the widest audience like there is this sort of like um and i think this goes way before tiktok and i think it also maybe I, I i think it feeds into the sort of passive love we're talking about to kind of bring it back that we kind of 
use love sometimes and relationships and also sometimes hookup culture, but just other people in general to uh, kind of give ourselves like this idea that we're part of something larger, this sort of ideal. And in doing so, we kind of take away like the humanity from the partner or from the other person, the, the love interest. Like, and I, and I think this might be one of the main issues in relationships. Like, and yeah, I, I think it's, it's, you're not like authentically seeing the other person mm-hmm. as they are. You're comparing them to um, this ideal. Yeah. Um, have you ever like heard about like Sartre's ideas on love and things like that? I know Beauvoir's, um, but I do not know uh, Sartre's, like, uh, philosophy of love very well. Okay, well, I I think there's, like, definitely overlap between them. Um, But, yeah, like, I think he, like, his philosophy on love plays a big role in explaining also our desire for, like, passively engaging in love. um, Because he talks about how, like... um, he talks about how, like, by through, like, the look of other people and through, like, the gaze of others in a romantic relationship, like, they're able to confer value onto us. And, mm. like, you know, it, it feels comfortable in this position because then we don't have to face, like, the responsibility of defining ourselves. Uh, we don't have to, like, engage with our, like, um, what's it called? with our unlimited freedom as the existentialists always talk about. Um, Mm. And so, and I know this happens a lot more for like women, especially in like gender norms, um, because a lot of like girls, when they're raised, they're always like told that like to be loved is one of the most important goals in their life. Like I know when I'm a little girl and I was like watching Disney films, other TV shows, like, the girls are always daydreaming about, like, finding a boyfriend, about finding, like, a love interest in the future. And that seems to be, like, the overarching goal of their life. So uh, so I think, like, women in particular um, just want to have a partner define and place value on their existence for them rather than doing it themselves. I this yeah this is an extremely good point and I've been reading um bell hooks uh she wrote communion the female search for love which has more to do with like uh, older women's kind of ideas of love and she says um as females in a patriarchal culture we were not slaves of love most of us were and are slaves of longing Mm. yearning for a master who will set us free and claim us because we cannot claim ourselves so so she thinks that she still values love Mm -hmm. and she's completely for love. It's that love has been misplaced with this patriarchal approval. Mm -hmm. And this is very similar to, uh, you know, to, to expand it a little bit beyond this. And, and I think this is still with reference to the fact that I think women have the shortest end of the stick, uh, in this matter. Like this is, and it's very explicit, um, with this issue and this sort of like, they're kind of, forced and socialized into trying to find approval and this approval is seen as love um and i think this also extends in general because uh ernest becker he talks about in the denial of death that we're all kind of uh all of culture basically is stems from a sort of distraction or attempt to surmount our deaths in some way and uh in religious matters uh we were able to kind of quell this uh to some extent because we could have a god 
Mm-hmm. Um, and religion works really well because he believed that there were two kind of existential motives. There were um, the desire for us to be ourselves and to be unique and individuated and to be kind of heroes. But then also we have this other desire that clashes with the first one, and that's the desire to belong to something larger than oneself and to kind of be one with the universe, one with the cosmos. And these clash, like they they don't perfectly uh, work with each other. But religion is one example that for a long period of history, people could kind of uh, say like, oh, God loves me uniquely for me. And also I'm attached to his greater plan. Right. And that was kind of a nice answer. But then his argument is that with secularism, we kind of needed a replacement for that because we don't want, as Sartre was talking about, this sort of existential freedom, this like responsibility Mm -hmm. of freedom, because with that comes like an awareness of death and like we're just here for a short time and nothing really matters. So he argues that for a lot of us, we kind of felt that we could find this answer in this paradox of wanting to be oneself uniquely and also being part of something else um, in a partner, like in a romantic partner. And the byproduct of this is you end up kind of creating this partner that is supposed to give you a sense of approval and a sense of value and worth and almost a morality. And uh, the problem is, is that you're, and this goes back to what I was talking about before, is that you're not seeing the partner as this human or this literally like a, like a companion to your journey through life. You're seeing them as this God, as Mm. this like arbiter of, of, goodness for you and so you completely lose your boundaries you lose your personality um and and i thought i think that that hooks is specifically talking about this when it comes to patriarchal culture um that man has kind of situated himself as the approver of women and you just see that through just pop culture in general um and women especially have lost autonomy in this regard and i think you also just see it fundamentally how romantic relationships are portrayed is this passive object this passive person that you have to go to and they give you something they unlock something in you and you're not seeing them as a person like that's i when i read that i thought that was this this seems to be a reoccurring thing that most people that think a lot about love like come to the conclusion that that it's this is the problem yeah that that's really interesting um I think that like paradox that you talked about, it it kind of like is I think it kind of resembles like Sartre's talking about like um, in love, like you have this desire t- for your partner to be free because you don't want them to like love you because they have to. Right. But at the same time, you don't want them to be too free because then they could like technically leave you at any point and that's a scary thought and so it's like on the one hand you want them to never leave always be there it's like this safe person like I guess a god that's going to be unconditionally there but at the same time you also want them to be an individual agent and let you also be an individual agent Um, and there's just this like weird paradox of like how free you want your partner to be Um, what was the (laughs) I forgot the second part I was going to talk about, but it was something related to the second part of your discussion, I think. Oh, um, I mean, there. I, first of all, yeah, that's a very interesting kind of commonality that I think. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's it, it reminds me of I'm reading this book that it's I think it's called like 
sex after dawn or something and it's these psychologists just talking about kind of the evolutionary history of sex Mm. and just the fact that we it really is a struggle of monogamy and polygamy throughout human history that's just it's extremely paradoxical it's extremely frustrating especially compared to other animals that just seem to be incredibly comfortable with monogamy like a lot of other or uh, comfortable with polygamy like a lot of other apes Mm -hmm. and uh like and and then also at the same time a lot of our kind of conceptions of like why we're monogamous doesn't really hold weight in an evolutionary sense like uh going back to like patriarchal Mm -hmm. issues um like uh, the whole idea that women want a man who will provide them with a lot of resources that makes sense in the society that we live in but until you look at the fact that up until agricultural times men and women had a fairly fair share of uh, the resources that there was a specific cultural and social shift where men uh allocated most of the resources to themselves so this is less of like a biological thing and more of like a uh social thing Mm -hmm. and so so they're really trying to break down those sort of problems and and yeah one of them is kind of why do we want our partner to be really free but then we also just want them for ourselves and why do they feel the same towards us um and the the other the other thing i was talking about was the uh um not seeing your partner as like a as a person right that that, i think that was the other main yeah okay point yeah i've heard things about how like because like in existentialist philosophy right like you're either like the subject or you're like the object and it's always like this relationship in terms of like consciousness um and like in love it's like in order to have like your partner be a subject and you're seeing yourself through like their eyes um you you kind of like want to just believe that they are this absolute subject that can't do really any wrong or like have like wrong perceptions about you because like if they're wrong well then maybe you don't have as much value as you think they're conferring onto you and i think that's kind of like them taking the place of like a god who will just like um for sure give you like love and make sure that love means that you have some sort of value i thought it was really interesting your point about polygamy because i watched this one video before and i don't know how accurate it is because i'm not a biologist but the person in the interview um was someone who studied like neuroscience or something and she was answering questions on love and one of the questions was can a partner cheat and still love you? And her answer was, yes, 100%. Um, Sexual attraction and just, like, sexual activity is very different from, like, the emotional aspects of your brain. And someone driven by, like, the sexual aspect of their brain um, does not mean at all that an emotional aspect was included. And that was just, like, extreme like dissonance with like what I've always heard or what I've always thought because I know Mm -hmm. that like you know if your partner goes and has like sex with someone else it hurts really bad and I think we've just placed like so much value and importance on like what sex means in relationships that it's really hard to separate the two and I don't know if we ever will at least in the near future yeah that's i mean yeah it's a very touchy 
subject and everyone has their own kind of personal preferences with regards to where they like side mm-hmm. um, on this. And it is, it is, um, cheating is like as cheaters, uh, are basically viewed in, in Western societies, at least it's like, you are, you're like dead. Like you're like, <laughs> that's like not a cool thing to do. Um, and like, I agree. Like that's because, uh, I think that there's like an understanding of the animal side and the person being really like intimate, but then also the realness and the meaningfulness behind the relationship. I think most people would argue that should, if you had a partner that was, that had some sort of value that should kind of supersede Mm -hmm. the kind of animal drives. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, yeah, at the same time, like um, as, as a human, you understand just how powerful uh, like sexual urges can be and how complicated it, it, it can be. And the, it, like uh, Becker also talks about it in the denial of death that um, sex is one of these things that like he, he sees, he sees people as both um, like, it's another paradox where we are both biological and we're very limited and we're going to die. And we have like a, we poop, we fart, we do a lot of gross things. We're not very proud of. Um, and then at the same time, we're symbolic and cultural and we have this like infinite potential and we can build amazing things and create beautiful art and we can live long past our deaths in the culture. Um, and this is like a paradox that's really hard to reconcile, but some people try to do it through, um, I mean, there's religion, of course, there's other cultural systems. Some people try to do it through sex Mm. because sex it feels transcendent it mm-hmm. feels almost spiritual and like above and beyond normal experience but at the same time it's very animal and it reminds you of your own sort of like fatalism and he says that this is kind of a dead end that it's not really as much of an answer as it is just a representation of the paradox at its most ideal but he does say um and i thought this was very interesting that like sex with love um, is kind of another story because it's basically a promise that two people make that you can both engage in this sort of dirty, fatalistic, deterministic, uh, biological thing that you don't really have control over with the promise and trust that you don't lose each other's sort of respect and integrity mm-hmm. for each other as people. And you can come out of it at the end um, kind of unchanged and if anything a little bit more like actualized and a little bit more respected and dignified and you can see that's why you know sex life the sex life is so important in like a married couple and and just in re- relationships in general like it's that's the other thing is is i think that nowadays we have lost a sort of dignity when it comes to sex and i don't want to sound like a super conservative like a uh, person <laughs> but like it's like but but yeah like i, I do think that like, going back to tiktok it's like another thing where i'm like i mean you see that comment is like people are way too comfortable on it like sometimes where it's like damn like this is a very <laughs> i guess it's fully engaging with like the animal side and uh i guess it's it's another thing maybe it comes down to preference mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you have to think about yeah. that no i totally i totally agree with the paradox you talked about and how sex can be both this like animal thing, but in a relationship, it helps you actually maybe like transcend and like self-actualize and stuff. Um, I'm just like wondering how uh, to separate sex from romantic love, but also in a way that doesn't 
completely separate them to the point where it's like, okay, now you can cheat on your partner if it's just sex. Because, you know, asexual people do exist. And I think a lot of asexual representation is like, if you don't like sex, then there must be something wrong with you. Um, If you Mm. don't enjoy it, then you also can't love. Like, I know a lot of asexuality is automatically linked to aromanticism, which is just not true. Like, there are asexuals who do want romantic relationships. It's just that they don't see sex as something connected to that. Um, And there can be aromantics who want sex but don't want love. So, yeah, it's, like, it's hard to, like, think about how to separate them in a way where I guess, like, sex is not necessary for love, but you shouldn't break that if it is part of your relationship. Do you think that it almost is, like, kind of, like, a, like the ideal form of, like, a friendship? Like, a very intimate kind of just friendship between two people? Because, you know, when, when you hang out with your friends, I feel like I'm at least, like... I feel cared for and I feel like there's some affection in some way. Like it's, um, and of course, when it comes to like dudes hanging out with dudes, there's like a lot of, um, uh, gender stigmas around talking about your male friends in a way that's kind of endearing Mm -hmm. and affectionate, but it does, you do feel like good and you look forward to seeing them and there isn't a sexual component to it. Um, but it is very fulfilling and satisfying um, and it just, I don't know if you've seen Arrested Development, but it oh, reminds yes, me Oh, yes, I love uh, that show. Yeah, there's that, the two magicians, uh, like <laughs> Joe, and I forget the other one, but they, they're like enemies, but then they start becoming friends. Oh my god, that they, scene? Yeah. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, when they, they finally, yeah. I don't know if it's a spoiler, but yeah, yeah. but they, <laughs> they, they, uh, they, because they've never, neither of them have experienced real friendship before. They think that they're gay and they're falling in love with each yeah. other. And I just think that's so, it's so funny on like multiple levels. But it's kind of like what, what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Is that I do think that there is a sort of affection and respect for the other person um, that that can be separated from from sex. That, yeah. There's actually this like short paper called can lovers be friends or something like that by conlin like someone called conlin it like really just talks about that which is like you know a lot of people always talk about how their partner like their romantic partner is their best friend um and this guy conlin is like no actually you can't just like combine these different types of like relationships because it's not like this ladder where okay we're friends now we're moving on to the next level like partners um and he's like he's like saying that for example let's say you're colleagues with someone there's like a certain type of relationship you with you have if that person is like just your colleague but if your friend enters the workplace and becomes your colleague you can't really be a colleague with your friend the same way you can be with other colleagues for example with your friend you might now feel the urge to like gossip more about what's going on you might find it harder to be professional because you have a certain level of comfort that kind of doesn't uh is isn't like compatible with like the colleague type of friendship um and he says like it's a similar type of discrepancy between like friendship and romantic relationship i remember he gave this analogy where like friends you see the world like side by side so 
it's like you like to experience the world together, but you're kind of still like experiencing it like through your own eyes, just like with someone else that you really enjoy and like to talk about things with. But for like a lover, you see the world through each other. It's like the experience becomes even more beautiful because you're seeing the person you love um, in addition to whatever else you're experiencing. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like, I think like Conlin, the person writing this paper, brought up like some really interesting points. Um, but I don't know if I'm like entirely convinced that friendship is like completely <laughs> incompatible with romantic relationships. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, because I, I guess probably the hesitance there is because uh, you see that on a lot of those like alpha male daily podcasts <laughs> it's like guys and girls can't be friends and it's like very kind of any anytime there's like strict people are saying there's very strict boundaries uh regarding any relationship it's like it's like a little bit questionable and i do also think um that like the going back to Sartre and, and Beauvoir like they had sort of a romantic friendship their whole life where right. they they slept with other people they uh really respected each other's like space like to an extreme degree where they wouldn't see each other for long periods of time um but they loved each other um they wrote love letters they were infatuated with each other mm -hmm. and whenever you bring up one of them you always remember the other one like mm -hmm. they they live in like a sort of cultural legacy of no they were like a, a strong couple in a weird way mm -hmm. um so because that is it, it feels like I would almost call it like a romantic friendship like it feels like the Beauvoir was very much of the opinion that love should neither be um, this sort of like absolute narcissism where you're using another person to make you feel better, nor should it be this absolute devotion where once again, you're using the other person mm -hmm. to make you feel better, but it's through this admiration of the other person that you're extracting some value. Mm -hmm. That it should really kind of be in the middle where you really, you like yourself, you understand your boundaries, you appreciate who you are, and it's the same, you feel the same way about them. And because of that, you would, like any good existentialist, respect each other's freedoms and respect each other's um, where, like paths in life no matter where that is and no matter if it really infringes upon yours and it's tricky. I'm, I'm assuming it's a very tricky balance, but I, I don't think it, um, I think it's possible for some people where they could be friends with their, with their romantic partners. But I think that it, it probably going back to Eric from, um, involves that sort of art of loving. It involves a great deal of effort and understanding and almost, uh, somewhat more of a commitment because you've now broken down all of the artificial boundaries of we are together now you can't cheat we are together now you can't do this and do that it's it's you're allowed to do whatever so it's more so what are you comfortable with doing like for yourself mm -hmm. and, and in that way you're kind of speaking to how much you care about the other person yeah so yeah i i guess i guess it's 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 probably possible like it's most things when we talk about relationships it's probably possible for some people probably not for other people um but yeah, I guess I guess the absolutist like language that he's using is a little bit. Um, I I too would be a little bit questioning, a little bit skeptical mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, and Sartre thought that love was a failed project, so there's also that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Oh, one of, yeah, one of the things you brought up that I thought was interesting, and we have kind of touched on it a little bit, but proper loving as being counterculture. So I guess like in reference to all of the things we've been talking about, why do we not see that many representations of uh, healthy relationships nowadays? That it seems almost like against the grain to see love as a sort of effortful act or to, you know, in, in a, in not the cliche sense, but to, to actually try to figure yourself out and try to love yourself or come to terms with yourself before mm-hmm. putting that sort of burden on another person. Yeah. Well, I think you kind of like touched on it when you were talking about romantic friendship and just like love as an art previously, because um, I guess the way that love is defined right now is very much in a romantic lens you know I I even said it before like I referred to a loving relationship as like romantic relationship um because romanticism is kind of like the lens that we view love through um which is very much like full of beautiful emotions um an ideal relationship where you feel positive all the time and this other person is supposed to like complete you like your other half um it likes it actually stems all the way back to this guy called i'm gonna pronounce his name so wrong but it was like <laughs> aristophanes i think that was what it was i i right? think you killed it symposium yeah, no, on good. love aristophanes yeah mm-hmm. okay yep. hopefully i got that right yeah <laughs> he was he was talking about like you know oh love is like finding your other half and so i think it's not even maybe it's not even like the romanticism movement to blame but just like this innate desire to want to feel complete um and perhaps another person is the way to do that or at least we think um and so that makes it really hard to like think that you can achieve this level of completeness by yourself without someone else and i think it doesn't help that like to do things alone is not really, it's like kind of looked down on. Like people are Mm -hmm. bullied for like being loners. Uh, If you go eat at a restaurant alone, people look at you in pity. Um, I think they're still very much uh, not, it's not normalized, I guess, to want to spend a lot of time alone. I think that that's also, uh, and maybe this is a bit of a radical departure from it, but um, the sort of at the most innocent the kind of sigma male idea of like a guy that just doesn't even care about women (laughs) at all and is completely alone which is like you know it's it's like a little bit i don't like i find it funny but it's like it, it could potentially be toxic because it also is so close to other very toxic uh kind of incel like uh communities and like valuing people like the joker or kind of those loners and outcasts it's almost like a radical response to this um sort of social disapproval of just being okay with yourself which i think is like i think both of us are trying to get at is that it's just just try to be okay with yourself like you don't have to like complete live like a hermit (laughs) you don't have to be like against society or like um but it's it's i guess it's just interesting when there's ambiguous topics like relationships and romance how society only seems to adjust to these things through extremes 
where it's mm-hmm. like com- being completely romantic and then no, you have to be completely alone and you have to like work on yourself. And sometimes you take it even to the extreme where you're going to be alone forever and actually like uh, you hate everyone and, and it can be very nihilistic. And um, yeah, I, I, I think that that sort of social disapproval, once again, that you see on TikTok is kind of already adding a lot of weight and obstacles to this process that a lot of people already don't want to do, which is basically to be alone with yourself, to figure out like where your value comes from, where your sort of sense of peace or like love with yourself comes from, um, which is already a hard task. And and yeah, why do you think those obstacles are there? Why do you think there's like a kind of this social rejection of doing that, or at least maybe an artificial approval of doing that, but nobody like really wants you to do that. Like, uh, sorry, of like being alone? Yeah, of kind of like, a, of being alone, of not engaging with other people. Yeah. Um, well, I think that like, I mean, I think that for some people, it's an even bigger stigma than others. Like, you know, if a conventionally attractive person wants to like spend some time alone, I think they're still perceived very differently from say like someone who is not conventionally attractive and they're like, I just prefer to be alone. Like people think that like this conventionally attractive person is just choosing not to get into a relationship. Mm. It's like, oh, you could, you could have anyone you want on this like market of like people to date, but like you're making that choice not to. And like, yeah, that's, that's confidence. That's like girl boss behavior. But then someone who's like not conventionally attractive, if they're like, you know what, I kind of just like want to focus on myself right now, trying to like focus on self-love. I think like a lot more people will perceive them as being someone who just has no game. Like, oh, you just can't get someone. Mm. Um, And I think that's also really toxic. Um, I just kind of hate like how much um, emphasis has been placed on like physical attractiveness in like relationships nowadays. And it really breaks my heart so many times when I see, like, couples online where one partner, especially the girl, might be, like, bigger than the guy. Or um, one partner is, like, not as attractive as the other. And the comments will just be like, oh, they must definitely have lots of money. Or, oh, this is, like, a scheme. Or, like, oh, leak your secret. What is the secret? Well, yeah. didn't you, in your video, you had, like, a, I think you had an example of yeah. a couple where the man was, like, he was, yeah, he yeah, had yeah. a disability. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the woman was, like, the woman was con- conventionally attractive, and it was a lot of, like, hate comments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really hard, I guess. And on, on the one hand, I kind of understand where these reactions come from, because obviously, like, anytime you see something out of, like, the conventions, then you know, you're going to get, like, surprised, maybe, like, ask questions. Um, But I think, like, it also just kind of comes from, like, the way that relationships are framed as, I think, as I said in my video, like, a bargain. Like, you're trying to find someone who hits certain levels the highest as they can for someone like you. It's kind of like a game where you're thinking about the status of people. And it's like, mm. how can I get like the highest status person in relation to what my status is? Um, yeah, no, it is. It, it kind of gamifies dating and 
I think also like uh, like with online dating, especially like there is the way that it's set up is that it's literally you are a product and you're marketing yourself. Like it's it's you're. Mm-hmm. It's literally how like an item would work when you're like online shopping, which yeah. is kind of messed up. Like yeah. there's like a series of images of you at your best. They're not necessarily like representative of who you actually are. And no like series of four images is going to be representative of who you are. But it's like you at your absolute best, or at least what you think is your absolute best. Um, and then like a short basically product description, which is the bio. And it's just really like um, demeaning kind mm-hmm. of to yourself to, to have to do that. And so I think that's why you see the cycle of at least I know a lot of my friends, they um, go through that, like going on dating apps and then deleting the dating apps. And then yeah. like, I'm still working on myself. <laughs> and then like, and they're like, no, I'm going to go on dating apps again. And it's like over and over and over yeah. again. And it's because it is, it is bad for your self-esteem. It is like you're not accurately portraying yourself um and you are just kind of yeah you're 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 putting yourself into this little kind of item that people can decide if they want to like order or not and how they're deciding is more often than not just because of the format it's based off of what you're talking about which is like the status does Mm -hmm. this person match with my status or do they enhance my status at all Mm -hmm. um and it is really like uh it's almost like going back to like medieval times in the sense that like there it's like matchmaking off of pure kind of social status and, and pure, like, uh, like not even really thinking about the potential like relationship and like romance because it's the way that it functions is it's too limited for people to actually get that sort of information. They have to go on a date with these kind of false pretenses of who this person is going to be. And it's like flawed from the start. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever been on dating apps before? yes okay I'm interested like (laughs) in your experience with that because I I've never been on one um and I don't think I ever will subject myself to it um but like what was your experience with it um I remember yeah this is this especially like this was first year of university I didn't Mm -hmm. have any dating apps um and then one of my friends got like a uh, tinder and he had i think one match in over like like four weeks or something oh wow and uh you know and we're all like 18 so we think that's like really funny um and then my other friend got it and he got a couple matches and then they like encouraged me to get it and i ended up i ended up getting quite a few matches and for me it almost became a little bit like addictive because mm. it is just like you just get like self-esteem boosts and right it's really fleeting and the way people talk to each other on the app is just not good it's like not human like looking back it was like very uh i don't know it's very artificial and i think one of the things because i ended up being in relationships that um began from dating apps is that there is that lingering sense the whole time of you know is the fact that we met on the dating app is that a bit of an issue and I don't know. Like, I don't know. It shouldn't be. But I think, it, like, for me, it was always kind of staying there. Like, like would it have been, been better to meet in more genuine circumstances? And I think that that also feeds back into the sort of, like, passive love kind of, um, like, love is waiting out there somewhere for you. Mm. And, yeah, so, I don't know. I, I, I 
can't say like uh, it, it was super positive but i was also i think a bit more of like a messy person when i was using it so I see. um yeah my memories of it probably aren't like uh the most like accurate or great but uh yeah i i i, I think the one feeling that i felt was like you do feel a little bit um like a lack of dignity and like self-respect when using it i see yeah that's what i've heard i think from a lot of people who use it i guess it's just like oh you 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 feel good and i um i think like it's it's different kind of from like a girl's perspective if we're talking about like hetero relationships because mm -hmm. i know that like it it usually is the case where the guy has to like shoot out a bunch of messages um you know like have to shoot out as many shots as they can and then the girl just kind of like waits and the girl mm -hmm. kind of gets like the choice on like do i reply do i give this person attention or not um and i yeah i just think that also kind of takes away from like maybe the simultaneous nature of like what relationships should be yeah well i also and i think for guys the guys then forget what they want and i this is like right. a reoccurring conversation i've had with like male friends which is like, okay, that's great. She said yes, but like, are you actually interested in this person? Like, right. I think that it's the the pursuit of and and attempting to like attain their interest, like supersedes their own sort of expectations and their own needs. Mm -hmm. And then what ends up happening is like, let's say they get into a relationship for a while, is that it all of this kind of bubbles up to the surface and it can be really bad overall in the relationship and you end up with, kind of a toxic situation because like their needs aren't being met they don't know how to communicate them because they're kind of this like what you say like they're kind of like expected to kind of keep the like girl's attention to mm -hmm. kind of do what the girl wants and you can kind of lose yourself and and I think it goes back once again to like this need to actually understand yourself before you decide to pursue a relationship to understand your boundaries to have a sort of peace of mind and like clarity about what you actually want and what you're comfortable with. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think that people can come to this place of understanding their boundaries and understanding what they want um, without a trial of like messy relationships before getting there? Um, or do you think like it's kind of necessary to go through a few like bad relationships or just like relationships that don't work out in order to get there sorry i'm like interviewing you now <laughs> oh no it's okay i mean it's like it's not really supposed to be an interview i think it just it starts out like that and then i think it gets more natural and then it becomes more of like a conversation which is that's that's ideal but uh yeah that's i don't know that's a that's a really good question because um you, I, I don't believe in the idea that you need to suffer in order to grow in some sense. Like, I think that that's kind of like a Puritan sort of, uh, like old age, like, you know, like, mm -hmm. like pain is, is there when it comes to development and stuff, but you shouldn't actively subject yourself to negative relationships, um, mm -hmm. in order to like do better or become a better person. I think that's like kind of a little bit insane. Um, but it definitely like it's like if you ever read like especially when it comes to like philosophy you you basically are reading a lot of the same especially when it comes to love like the topic of love um 
you're reading kind of the same ideas in different language, like over and over again. Sometimes there's disagreements, but I think especially with this topic, you see a lot of the same thing come mm-hmm. up because it's like, it's it's a this kind of ambivalent, strange topic that people have wondered about throughout history. And the problem is, is because you keep seeing it over and over again, and then you see it kind of like disassembled into like, culture cliches like work on yourself and Mm -hmm. love yourself and communication is key like you hear these things yeah and it's it's the equivalent of your parents like saying the same stuff over and over again and you're like okay okay but it's until you actually realize why those things have any sort of meaning it's like um then then it makes sense there's a like on this topic a little little bit of a departure but i think this comes to just life in general but i don't know if you've ever seen darjeeling limited uh, by uh, wes anderson i don't think i have it's it's three brothers that they go to india with the idea of they're going to like find themselves and like grow and stuff like that and it's and it's a critique of like kind of orientalism and how the west kind of treats india because they get there and india doesn't give a shit about them and they end up having (laughs) an awful trip (laughs) like because it's india isn't to serve this purpose of making them like it's not like this manic pixie dream girl that's going to make them feel better they actually have to go through their own uncomfortable stuff and they have to go through the death of this uh, child and then they end up meeting their mother and uh who kind of abandons them and at the very start, the main brother is very uh, adamant that they do this ritual that he bought from this guy that definitely just like ripped them off at this like market <laughs> in India. That that like, oh, we do this ritual, we'll end up actually feeling more connected. We have to go to the top of this mountain. And they do it at the start and they're bickering and they're like complaining and stuff. And obviously mm-hmm. it doesn't like, uh, you know, it doesn't do anything and, and they completely fall apart. And then it's only after this uh, entire movie where they actually have to like realize that all they have is each other and that they do have to kind of relinquish some of the baggage and, mm-hmm. um, and the actual moments of morality don't actually happen. Like in India, like there's a lot of kind of flashbacks and um, it, and then they do the ritual at the end of the movie and there's kind of a sense of like they there's a symbolic shot of them like throwing away their suitcases as they like board the train it's their dad's suitcases who had like passed away and Mm. a lot of it was kind of getting them getting past their dad but i think that that's such a genius way to just describe the pursuit of wisdom in general in that we don't do these rituals and entertain these cliches in order to get something out of them we have to like go and do the work and only then can we actually see uh, and and uh, accept and embrace like the purpose of the ritual and like the essence of the cliches like that's why you can be surrounded by all the knowledge in the world but it's like you you do kind of have to live in order to like um to really understand the meaning behind it all yeah so yeah yeah i i think there definitely is something that comes from just experiencing something it's very different from being like okay this is what i think and i've been told I remember in high school, uh, I was like talking to one of my teachers at the time and he was just like asking me what was up. And I was like, oh, yeah, like there's this whole drama going on with like, like one of my friends 
having like trouble with like her boyfriend and she was like asking me for advice and he just kind of like chuckled and he was like oh asking you for advice yeah high schoolers asking other high schoolers for advice about like (laughs) relationships and at the time i was like oh okay mr cynical but like now now looking back i'm like you know he had a point because at the time it's not like i had ever been Um, in a relationship before and I was just kind of telling my friend advice from like stories I hear from other people or films I've seen or just like like mottos like communication is key Um, but it gets different when you actually get into a relationship and I think you kind of like truly figure out the complexities of a relationship once you've been in one for a while Um, like just even the fact of like getting used to arguments and them being something that will exist in relationships and that arguments don't mean your relationship is now over like when i was younger i used to think that every time my parents fought it meant they were getting a divorce and that was just because like all the books i read all the movies i watched like if if a couple fought really bad it usually meant that they weren't meant to be. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly dead on. Um, uh, it's it's hard because, yeah, because you don't want to give the advice of, oh, you should, um, like, entertain really toxic, awful relationships to learn about love. Um, that's, you know, it's not healthy. But also naturally in life, you will end up in, you know, if you really decide to like engage with life, you will end up in relationships that w- that will probably be challenging and have conflict in them. And that just means that you're taking life seriously and you're not like backing away and you're taking like love as like an active term and not a passive term. And it, and it reminds me of uh, my dad. I, I don't think he came up with this quote, but he says it a lot. Um, and he says that love and life are free but learning that isn't and Mm. i think it's kind of the gist of this where it's just you know like the 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 feelings themselves um and happiness and friendship and like those are free you don't need anything for them in in a sense you just need another person sometimes you just need yourself but to get there um requires a great deal of uh sacrifice and insight and um kind of motivation to find some sort of like peace and sometimes you have to surmount social expectations and obstacles um that might might make you feel isolated might make you feel rejected might make you feel stupid but um if you believe those things are like worth it in the end then um why not like at least try yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, um, I was just gonna ask if you have anything else to add um, uh, regarding love and uh, relationships. And uh, besides that, I think we're, I think, I mean, I don't think we've solved anything <laughs> necessarily, but but I think we had a really good talk. <laughs> yeah, no, I I don't think I'm providing solutions to one of the most. Uh, one of the biggest problems that like everyone faces and thinks about anytime soon, (laughs) but. 
it's always always I think it's always important to like think about because I think love truly is so like central um, and should be treated with more respect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. Um, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, and I always I remember your name, but the your YouTube name is it's a live uh, <laughs> Ollie it's, Sun it's, Via. It's like my last name Sun in between my name Ollie and Via. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's easier to remember. <laughs> okay, okay, check out Ollie Sun Via. Um, it's really g- great channel. Um, very insightful. She talks about a lot of the same topics I do. Um, and yeah, thank you again. Thank you.